Hey, Pem, I just got a fax from, from our producer. He says he wants us to review the original Rescue Rangers. Oh, good. It's going to feel a lot better after they made that movie. I, I could use some real good Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Just Disney fun. Get my boy Chip, my boy Dale, my boy Monterey Jack. You know, fun fact, Dale is the first character I ever met at a Disney park. So, you know, they've got some sentimental attachment to it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, we got a problem. Uh, problem? Yeah, he goes on to specify that this is a 1973 series. I didn't know Chippendale Rescue Rangers is that old. Wow. Rebooting uh, it gets rebooting. worse. It's not oh. Chippendale. It's oh. Lassie. Lassie? There was a Lassie cartoon? Yeah, and uh, you're not going to like who made it. Who? It's Filmation. Shimer! There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And dear God, help us. Eh, this show's going to the dogs. Yeah, at least we pounded into us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're telling the really bad jokes just to keep ourselves sane. Because as you gathered from our intro, our show this time around is Filmation's Lassie's Rescue Rangers. Yep. There was a show called Rescue Rangers long before Chip and Dale did their 80s run. Now, before we dive into the show itself, let's do a little bit of history on Filmation, because we haven't really talked much about their origins, despite having done two shows of them, which are of far superior quality to this. Well, we did briefly mention a little bit in the Popeye episode. Yeah, but here's what happened afterwards. After working for Larry Harmon Pictures on... The King featured Popeye cartoons, like you just said. Hal Sutherland and Lou Scheimer struck out on their own when that studio closed in 1961. And after some animated odds and ends for various companies, they formed Filmation with radio personality Norm Prescott the following year. Uh, one pause for one second. I just want to mention that according to Lou Scheimer, he actually worked at Hanna-Barbera briefly, and it's a funny story. Okay. Uh, he is not a fan of Joe Barbera. <laughs> Seemingly, everything he would turn into Joe Barbera, Joe Barbera would say was terrible. And he got so frustrated that he turned in one of Joe, Bar Joe Barbera's own artwork to Joe Barbera. And Joe Barbera still turned it down. Wow. Oh. Well, kind of casts him in a different light, doesn't it? <laughs> so, Filmation... Throughout the 1960s, the team created cartoons for DC Comics characters, representing the first time characters like Batman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, and the Teen Titans would ever be animated. Wait, did you say Superman? Superman was a was animated before, of course. I yeah, that's why I was like, I thought you said Superman for a second. That's why I was like, wait, 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 no, that that freaking Fleshers did that. <laughs> nope. I could have mentioned the Flash, but uh, I. I figured Teen Titans was a little more interesting, given how uh, dominating on the Cartoon Network schedule they are. Yeah. 
fact, I think there's an episode of the Teen Titans Go cartoon that actually makes fun of the Filmation Teen Titans cartoon. Yeah, as easy as it is to mock the low production budgets of those DC cartoons, it was a better deal than what most of Marvel's characters got back then. And that's sad. Yeah. Regardless, these were a hit for Filmation, as was another comic property, Archie and his various friends from Riverdale. That's the one that really put Filmation on the map. Yep. Archie begat Sabrina. Sabrina begat the Groovy Ghoulies. The Uh, Groovy Ghoulies begat a special with the Looney Tunes characters that you can hear our friends on That's Not Quite All Folks discuss in depth. Uh, That's a thing. Yeah. Not to mention the Archies itself had a bunch of little spinoffs too, like... uh, U.S. of Archie, Archie's Funnies, Archie's Funhouse, etc., etc., etc. But, uh, yeah, and the Archies were so popular, it spawned a lot of shows filling the need to focus on teenagers and and was uh, inspiration to Hanna-Barbera to create a particular show that I, I'm sure no one's ever heard of called uh, <clears throat> Scooby-Doo, but... <laughs> Papers! <laughs> Zoinks! If only that was what we were watching today. Yeah. So, the, our cartoon for today comes into the picture a few years later when Filmation acquired the license to use Lassie, America's favorite dog of film and TV, first appearing in the 1943 movie Lassie Come Home, and whose original television series lasted for a whopping 19 seasons. Holy 17 shit. on CBS and the final two in syndication. Damn, that's a hell of a run. No kidding. That's a lot of Timmy's falling down wells, man. That's that's almost up there with the frickin' Simpsons. Almost. <laughs> Supposedly there was a 2014 Lassie TV show, too, but I don't know anything about it other than it exists. Same, same. So, Filmation produced for the ABC Saturday Superstar movie anthology series an hour-long feature. Lassie and the Spirit of Thunder Mountain in 1972, and this would serve as the pilot for the series Lassie's Rescue Rangers, which debuted just after the final season of the classic Lassie series ended. Well, to be honest, that ABC TV movie like anthology they did was really a thinly veiled uh, set of pilots to begin with, but pretty much. I mean, that's how we got Yogi's Ark. That's how we got a few other things. Yeah, not all of them became series, though, because uh, one of them was uh, Hanna-Barbera made a pilot for a Lost in Space cartoon that didn't get picked up, mm. and a Bewitched spinoff that didn't get picked up that focused on uh, Samantha's child, uh, Tabitha. Okay. So, my first question is, this cartoon is how you follow up one of the most beloved television institutions of any era? Yeah, I don't feel like anybody on Filmation was given an F when they made this show. It sure seems that way. Man. And what's especially sad is that includes one of our lead voice actors, Ted Knight. I will say this, uh, having Ted Knight in this show is giving me flashbacks to Filmation's Journey to the Center of the Earth cartoon, because he was the main star in that, too. Indeed. Well, the main character and the main villain in that, but yeah. Ted had done a fair few voices for Filmation, and this is before, just before 
he made his star turn as the blustering Ted Baxter in the seminal sitcom The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Gotta start somewhere. Uh, sure. You gotta walk before you can run. Um, oops. Major research failure on my part here. I just double-checked, and the Mary Tyler Moore Show began in 1970. So, looks like Ted was a household name at that point. Sorry, folks. Uh, before we get into the other voice actors, can I tell you my favorite thing about this show? Because there's not very many positives to say. Okay. The the drawing of Lassie in this show is freaking hysterical. Because it looks like they mostly drew a normal, like, collie. And then they added, like kind of cartoon eyes, and half the time they're half-lit. So Lassie either looks like she doesn't give an F, or she's drunk as F, and I'm not sure which. Given the time frame, uh, Lassie might have been engaged in a little bit of the wake and bake. Because <laughs> she just does not look like she cares. Yeah. So Ted's principal role in this show is Forest Ranger Ben Turner who works in the Forest Force at Thunder Mountain with his wife, Laura, and his three kids, Susan, Jackie, and Ben Jr. And a Native American friend of theirs named uh, Gene Fox. Yeah, who for some reason is always referred to by his full name. Which is really awkward. Very. I also have concerns about, like, Ben putting his entire family into danger half the times in this show, but all right. <sighs> Oh, we will get there. <laughs> Laura is performed by Jane Webb, who's another Filmation veteran, who has most notably voiced Betty, Veronica, Sabrina, and just about every other female character for the various Archie productions. Also, like Ted Knight, she was also in Journey to the Center of the Earth as Cindy Lindenbrook. So, Ted Knight was Professor Oliver Lindenbrook and uh, and Count Sassnukin. Sassnukin. Meh. Anyways, and uh, Jane Webb was uh, Cindy Linden Brooke, who was his uh, daughter, if I remember right. Sack uh, Newsom. That's Sack Newsom. Anyways. The voices of the kids, meanwhile, are the product of cheap nepotism. Yeah. We'll start with the youngest. Hal's son, Keith, voices Ben Jr., while Erica Scheimer who we last heard performing Perfuma and Lukey on She-Ra, performs Susan, the, the middle child, and the voice of both Jackie and Gene Fox is someone who I imagine induces bad flashbacks for Pembroke, Lame Shimer. More like Lame Shimer, am I right? <laughs> I will pause here to let Pemmy vent his spleen. Ah, uh, sport belly! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know Lane Shamer best from uh, his playing the main character in Sport Billy, and his acting is, I don't even know if I can say atrocious as much as just awkward. It's like he can't read three like words without pausing awkwardly, and his inflections are always all over the place. It's like, Dad, how can we find those... Explosives. Uh, some sometimes I know your your son's cheaper than hiring an actual voice actor, Lou. But sometimes it's better to hire a voice actor. 
As far as nepotism goes, I think the other two voice actors do a hell of a lot better job. And that's sad because I don't know how young Ben Jr.'s voice actor is, but I'm sure he's pretty young. Yeah, and I was actually somewhat impressed with Keith Sutherland. Yeah, for as young as he possibly is, he does a really good job. Though, for whatever reason, they always draw him looking down for some reason, which I thought was weird. Hmm. Now we should, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but we should also point out that Gene Fox is a Native American character. I did say that. But. Oh, you did? Okay. And, uh, apologies, uh, we're, we've got a, we're covering a lot of ground really quickly. Yes. But, you know, when I first wrote that sentence and took a look at the year, I had a small shiver run down my spine. But as far as portrayal of an ethnicity... Gene's harmless. Other than being voiced by Lane Scheimer, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, that's the worst part, is Lane doesn't really even change his voice for the two characters he's voicing, so sometimes it's confusing on which one's actually talking. Yeah, the, the change of inflection is barely there. I, as far as uh, Scheimer's kids, I prefer Erica. Erica's decent. She'd improve. Yeah, she's a lot better than Shira, but... yeah. But still, she's decent. Um, even here, she's decent. <laughs> so Lassie herself also has a cadre of animals that make up the Rescue Rangers. We'll get to them on a per-episode basis, since they don't all appear in every episode, except for Toothless, the mountain lion. Poor mountain lion. I mean, how's he eat? Hmm. He gums the hell out of everything. I don't know. Uh, you can tell by watching this show that Toothless is pretty much a testing ground for the ideas that would later be put to use for Cringer. Yeah. Yeah, and not to mention, like, a lot of the animals range from weirdly intelligent for an animal to just plain out a cartoon character in some of these things, especially Toothless. Mm -hmm. So the stories in this show are, well, business as usual for Saturday morning animation of this era. Evil robot duplicates. Ooh. Trouble at a rodeo. Ooh. Explosives. Wait. <laughs> In fact, reading these plot descriptions, it really feels like half of this show doesn't take place at what is supposed to be the main setting. Eh, National Park is boring. We need, like... <laughs> Man, this show makes explosions boring. <laughs> yeah. So let's not waste any more time and get into our first episode, The Imposters. Pull that episode up just so I can have it for reference. Hey, Lassie, don't look at me with those drunk eyes. <laughs> I also like how in the intro part of, at one point in the intro, Lassie just runs into a group of animals. It's not like a charge or anything. It just looks like he just runs into them. <laughs> Most effortless attack ever. Yeah. So the episode opens up hot, with a whopping bank robbery being perpetrated by Lassie, Toothless, and Robbie the Raccoon. Wait. And Musky the Skunk. Uh, yeah, the Skunk. Hey. And Susan and Jean are packing the cash, while Ben Jr. and the birds, Groucho the Owl, and uh, I presume Edgar the Raven? That's right. Because, you know, if you have a raven, you gotta name it Edgar. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure somebody thought they were clever with that, but... It's about as clever as this show gets, sadly. 
By the way, did you say that raccoon's name is Robbie? Yeah, that hence my little weight. That's a that's a good name. That's a good name. Robbie is a good name. I just want to say that. That's a good name. Very, mm-hmm. very good name. Not that I'm biased or anything. No, 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 no. Not of course not. So our uh, group escapes via helicopter, and in our first continuity error of many, we don't even see all the animals leave. Of course not. That costs money. I also like how the bank is just called Citibank. Yeah, and not with an I. Well, not with an I instead of a Y. You know. Yeah, yeah. So after they escape, we now move forward to a, I guess, a football stadium? (laughs) Yeah, high school football stadium. The rescue rangers are supposed to be demonstrating rescue operations, but they're running late. But fortunately for bootleg Mr. Weatherby here, they come in just in time to do their performance. Yep, Ben explains their tardiness as engine trouble. And we get a very dry, bare-bones explanation of a mountain rescue with Toothless playing the victim. Complete with him winking at the camera at one point. Hmm. Just, you know, so the kids know at home that he's okay, despite the fact that it's obvious even to a child. Right. So this procedure is shown to a group of students who look as bored as I imagine kids watching this were. That's all right. That looks like about how I felt. In most performances I watched at high in my high school years. <laughs> oh, true. They're about to do another demonstration when the cops arrive to haul them off to the pokey, despite Ben's protests. Speaking of which, like, the, they drove the fucking cop cars right through the fucking stadium! <laughs> it's like, dude, you probably ruined quite a bit of that field there. Not to mention, potentially, I mean, were the gates open? That wide enough for a car to get through? Not to mention, why didn't you just wait until they finished performing so you didn't make a scene? I thought that was the typical, you know, unless they thought they were taking them hostage or something. Mm. And even then, they prob- the cops probably wouldn't have come. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. The team has shown the footage of the robbery, which Lassie growls at, and Ben further protests, but the police chief's hands are tied due to how bad the whole thing appears. I mean, that is pretty good evidence, let's be honest. Yeah. Also, the chief's voice changes like twice during this scene. Oh, dear. So with no witnesses to their engine trouble, Ben begs for a chance to prove their innocence, and the chief gives them 12 hours via a court order. Can they really do that? That seems weird. It does seem a little dodgy, yeah. Especially when you got physical, like, video evidence of them, but all right. And multiple witnesses. Yep. But then again, like I said, that police chief's voice changed completely after, like, Ben asked if there was anything he could do, and he gave the court order, so I, I maybe he had a stroke. I don't know. <laughs> so the Rescue Rangers team are searching the area, and Jackie calls in with a report from a block of condemned buildings. What a oh, lovely place to send the kids. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, that, that is the weird thing about this show is, like, Ben just puts his freaking family in danger all the time on this show. I, I guess it works for, like, since it's a cartoon and it helps the kids feel like part of the show, I guess. But, man, I still have questions about his freaking parenting skills. Meanwhile, poor Dottie is watching this show and going, See? See? I can go on these missions! <laughs> 
Maybe that's why Lane. Maybe that's why Jackie's acting sounds so awkward. He's just seen some shit. <laughs> so the reason they're there is because uh, there's been a report of a collie resembling Lassie in the area, and sure enough, the doggy double is spotted. They give a chase to find out, or a slow chase, or a slow walk to find out where this collie is and where it's going. Only to find a mad scientist lab. Yeah. Yeah, via a secret stairwell leading to a tunnel, we see caged versions of the ranger's animals and copies of Mr. and Mrs. Turner being looked after by said mad scientist. And the kids instantly deduce their robots. Like, instantly. Like, it's... I mean, they're not wrong, but that's still a heck of a jump. Also, robots do feel out of place for this show. I didn't think this was a sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, that's like having robots in Scooby-Doo. Wait a minute, that was like one of the first season episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Granted, a more believable robot. Yeah, that looks like a robot robot, not like just straight-up people. Mm-hmm. Granted, of course they're going to look like straight-up people because this is allowing... Lou Shimer and Filmation to just reuse the same like cells for the the robots. Yep. So our scientist confirms their suspicions by sicking the robots on the kids, saying that these robots have a nasty temper and these buttons can make them even nastier. The, this uh, scientist is also Ted Knight, just reusing his Count Sassnukin Sass Sassnukin Sassnukin. I can't even say it. He's using the bad guy from... Uh, he's just reusing the voice he did for the bad guy in Journey of the Center of the Earth. Hmm. Sasnukin. But this uh, recycled voice says his name isn't important, but he knows all about the Rescue Rangers. Creepy. I, I'm also kind of humored. It's like... <laughs> Jackie's not too bright. Because <laughs> he's just like, I know who you are, but I know who you are, Jackie. And he's like, how do you know who I am? And I was like, dude, he's got fucking robots of you guys. Of course he knows who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the world's famous Lassie. So, like, even in this continuity, in this world, Lassie is, like, a famous idol. And not just yeah. random bully. So he's about to have them put in the cage when Gene shines a flashlight in the eyes of the robot Lassie to give the real one time to get free. How does a flashlight stun a freaking robot? It's not the strangest use of a flashlight I've ever seen. I know, but I still question that. I mean, you, I mean, I can understand blinding a human, but a, a robot? Yeah. Also, that must be one freaking bright flashlight. <laughs> it still beats me having seen a zombie in a sci-fi B-movie having to hold a flashlight up flush against its forehead just to survive. Alrighty then. Yeah, I'll have to show you this sometime. I've got it on my Rift Tracks account. Oh boy. Yeah, just hearing Rift Tracks alone should tell you all you need to know. Yep. <laughs> Lassie makes a run for it. The robot chases Lassie. Obvious reuse of the same running animation. Because as uh-huh. soon as like Lassie goes off, then you see the robot coming. It's the same animation. I will say that Lassie running up the stairway made me laugh because they just badly tilt up the, the fucking running animation to go up Yep. There. And when you see it twice, it's even more obvious. <laughs> it's so bad. And then the scientist seals the exit and orders the robots, Jackie and the other boys, to respond to Ben Sr.'s call. And the robots are so good that even 
Ben is tricked. Lane's delivery is so bad here that the only clue which is the robot and which is the real thing is story context. The worst part about that is when he answers his call, like, Jack, the robot answers the call, and, and then Jackie responds with, I can't believe this. And the thing is, when I, like, first heard that, it was while I was doing a stream, and I thought it was all the same line. Like, I thought the robot said that line, because it all just goes together without any pause. Yeah, there's a lot of dialogue pacing issues in this show. And that's outside of just uh, Lane's acting. (laughs) Yeah. So Lassie manages to outwit her pursuer, and the scientist orders the robot kids to fetch the dog. And Ben Jr. gives us the classic, you'll never get away with this line, and the scientist jovially scoffs. Well, yeah, of course he gives that line. He's a child, he's gotta be the one to say that line. Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Lassie has to race to a construction site when spotted by the robot kids, slipping under a fence, which the robots break in pursuit. These are some strong fucking robots. This is some amazing tech for, what, 1970s? <laughs> yeah. Again, just just cut the scientist a check for his technology. You can, it's like, you can cure cancer. I don't want to cure cancer. I want to rob banks with robots. <laughs> Also, I want to point out that Lassie stops a freaking bulldozer in this scene. She kind yeah. of rams herself against this bulldozer with no injury whatsoever, and it stops the bulldozer. Yeah, this is the first of many near-death brushes Lassie has in this episode alone. This is why she looks like she doesn't give a crap. No kidding. <laughs> and right in the middle of what should be the peak of this chasing we cut to ben and susan checking out a cargo ship trying to find out what's covered up in its hold exciting and i should mention that we later find out the ship is abandoned but at first blush it appears they're trespassing wow what a great way to prove your innocence as can we do cast does it all the time fair they do (laughs) And then we return to Lassie's chase just as abruptly as we left it. And now they're yep. in an air- near an airport. And the robots freaking just rip off a chain link fence. Yeah. Like it's nothing. And we get more close calls on this dog's safety. And now we're back in the lab with the robot Lassie being repaired. What? What's it being repaired for? It like it got a door shut on it. That was like it. <laughs> It fall down the stairs? Well, wouldn't be the l- first time we, the filmation team cuts out action like that. <laughs> no, Gene Fox's freaking like flashlight was just that freaking dope, man. <laughs> Even Lassie's like robot counterpart doesn't look like it gives a crap. So Ben Jr.'s robot calls in on the real dad. The real Ben tries to warn him. And as Ben Sr. is almost wise, the robot Ben Jr. dismisses it as interference. I do want to say that this entire scene with Ben's robot, he has, the robot, like, has this blank face the entire time. It's mildly creepy. (laughs) So we get more cliche talk about how perfect the robots are, but Ben insists they lack a heart, and the perfect robbery will be commenced, and oh, this cartoon! It's as cliche as cliche can be. It's almost like they're writing it on autopilot. Yeah. Back from the commercial break, 
Ben, Susan, and the other animals are checking the ho- Ben Senior, I should mention, is, are checking the ho- the hold of the ship. And Susan tells us their twelve hours are almost up. Now wait just a minute. If I'm keeping track of this correctly, they started around ten in the morning their time, and it's not even nighttime in the cartoon. Where are they, Alaska? Uh, maybe she, maybe she's just being worried, and they're not really that bad off, anyways, because a lot of stuff happens before this, any after this, anyways. I guess it's fair, but it still kind of grates on me. If they had said just something like the twelve hours are half up, I would have bought it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a details guy, you know that. Yeah, no, I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm 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 trying to give unnecessary credit where nuns do. <laughs> but it can't be Alaska because clearly they're in Texas given the size of a high school football stadium. <laughs> I think they actually said they're next to Pittsburgh or something. Mm. Uh, Vicksburg, but... actually, with a V. Oh, well then, never mind. Yeah, we find that out in the next episode. Spoiler alert. Could be Texas. Mm. Oh. Except, you know, there have been more guns being shot off. Sorry. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> the scientist sends the robot Lassie out to stop uh, Ben Sr. Since Ben Sr. has found where the uh, fake Rescue One is hidden. And we also see that Lassie finally tricks the robots off her tail merely by hiding behind some like oil drums. Okay, that must be the part I missed while I was jumping back and forth taking my notes. Because that scene must be so quick... Because I th- I thought for a second the real Lassie caught up to Ben Sr. and and his daughter. No. Because that's when Ben Jr. was talking to uh, Ben Sr. Or fake Ben Jr. was talking to Ben Sr. Ben Sr. mentions the uh, the boat they found and th- that they're investigating. And that's when the scientist is like, oh, well, they, they found my helicopter. And then sends out the uh, robot Lassie. Right, right. And, and then you see a brief very brief and it is very brief scene in the airport where it's not even draw they just use silhouettes of the characters for it where yeah he hides behind some oil drums and you see the other two run up past it and then she gets out from behind the oil drum you know i had just figured that was that the real lassie continuing her escape from the robots to the ship well oh i i see where you yeah it's confusing let's be honest But fortunately, I'm clued into what's actually going on, thanks to Toothless realizing what's up. Not that anyone listens to him. Well, so the scientist gloats some more, and the fake Lassie gets the humans to realize she wants them to follow her. And continuing to not listen to Toothless trying to warn them, they stumble upon the real Lassie. And we have the worst animated dogfight I have ever seen. Yeah. I've seen better dogfights in the NES version of Capcom's 1942. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's like, what, four, maybe five frames of animation that are just being rocked back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until, like, Lassie eventually just bumps the robot that somehow destroys it. They're all like, the daughter's like, what's that? And then Senior's like, a robot. It's like, which is something I know. Some people actually in this actually call it a robot, but some people like call it a robot. And I'm like, robot? What? No, Gutsman does not appear in this episode. Dun dun. 
So Ben asks the real Lassie to lead them to the boys. And they follow a dog in a helicopter. Mm Hmm. Meanwhile, the scientist is rehearsing the robot adults when the kids notice the same red light blinking from when the last C double was malfunctioning, realizing their fellows might be on the right track. I'm still having trouble with this whole factor of they follow a dog in a helicopter. How does that even... Wouldn't... You're going to have to go at the speed of the dog anyways. Wouldn't it have been faster just to... It wouldn't have been easier to do it on foot? Yeah. And helicopters take a while to take off. And it would be going a lot faster than a dog, even at probably its slowest speed. Oh, well. Now, when they get there, though, the tension is actually supposed to be ratcheted up because the abandoned building the lab is under is rigged with dynamite. How... Convenient. Yep. And Lassie avoids yet another brush with death, as our still unnamed scientist's lab is totally wrecked. Again, how convenient. Why do you make a lab under a construction site anyways? A fair question. The results? The robots begin to malfunction in humorous ways. And the scientist tries to escape, but is blocked off both ways by rubble. Sadly, not of the Barney variety. (laughs) Fortunately, our kids are safe, but the scientist is not. Yeah, he's desperately trying to dig out and cries for help, and the the team detects that the tunnel is filling up with gas. Crack a window. (laughs) Well, one of the characters is a skunk, after all. All right, fair. And in the face of, of potentially hours of digging... Ben Jr. suggests Robbie and Musty the Skunk dig through with a resuscitator. This should arguably be one of the more suspenseful parts of the cartoon. It's really not. But it's not even close. The two animals do make it through and save the villain. Yeah, I told you that Robbie's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So, at the police headquarters roof, the chief thanks Ben, and we get the possible return of the robot lassie, but it turns out it's a real dog with puppies. Yep. Which made me think Lassie had puppies for a second and I got confused, but... Yeah, it's a non-sequitur ending, to be sure. Also, I just want to point out, this guy is dying from lack of oxygen, and you sent a skunk to help him? Oh, fair. And that was Lassie's Rescue Rangers. And our torture's not over yet. If anything, the next episode is even worse. Yay. 1973. Actually, I want to check something out real quick. Okay, we'll, we'll pause for commercial here. After these messages, we'll be right back. On the next Penny and James podcast, what happens when you take an old Wacky Races character design give it superpowers, and pair it with a pastiche of Charlie's Angels. Of course, it can only be Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. And what started as yet another Scooby-Doo formula show became something somewhat bigger. Find out why in three weeks. Does this count as paleontology? So both this and 
the uh, Star Trek animated series came out at the same time, and I noticed that the Lassie cartoon has uses a lot of the same music as the Star Trek cartoon. So I thought it was just ripping off the Star Trek cartoon, but seemingly they, they could be ripping off each other because they both came out in the same year. That's a possibility. Probably we're never going to find out because most of the principals involved are have either passed on or wouldn't know. It, it could just be like a case of they just made a bunch of music for a uh, bunch of action music for action cartoons and that's all there is to it. Yeah. So... Our next episode is the next episode in production order and broadcast order, Deadly Cargo. And to open it up, Pemmy, I've got a knock-knock joke for you. Knock-knock. Who's there? Cargo. Cargo who? Cargo beep-beep and almost run over Lassie. Aww. That I'm making such a crappy, grim-humored joke should give you an idea of what kind of mood I'm in! (laughs) see there's a reason i picked this episode (laughs) oh yeah so it's the start of one of snoopy's novels because it's a dark and stormy night at the camp near thunder mountain and everyone's doing such exciting things like sewing and eating oatmeal cookies yeah the only oatmeal cookie i've ever enjoyed are my grandmother's recipe and no, not just because I love Grandma Irish that much. <laughs> what, you don't like Little Debbie's oatmeal cream pies? Because neither do I. To be sure, I've never had one. But that's besides the point. They're interrupted by a low-flying plane, piloted by two not-at-all-suspicious-sounding people, a Danny DeVito look-alike and King from Art of Fighting. God, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought he looked like a freaking Danny DeVito. These guys just look like villains straight up, both look and sound. Yeah, but seriously, they're Bolton and Mona, respectively, and they have a cargo of explosives they intend to use to bump off Fort Knox. Yes, because, you know, not everybody and their uncle has tried that and failed. (laughs) When even one of the best-regarded James Bond villains can't quite pull it off, what hope do these two have? Also, it's empty. They don't want you to know that. Mm. Anyways. (laughs) So, lightning strikes the plane, setting it ablaze, and Mona makes an emergency call that the rescue rangers pick up. I I like that before the engine got taken out, Mona was kind of, like, upset because they couldn't, like, the tracker wasn't working, their instruments weren't working and whatnot, and, and, like... Bolton was barely bothered by it. It's like, oh, this will put us behind schedule. And she's like, Fort Knox isn't going anywhere. <laughs> well, she's not wrong. Yep. But then he suddenly becomes like <laughs> crybaby levels of scared whenever they freaking like have to crash land. But I mean, that's fair. And Mona was definitely right about the instruments because without them, she can't give the rescue team much details save for a small lake, which they land in. Land is a word that could be used for that, yes. Yeah, land in the same sense that the great Gonzo lands most of his stunts. <laughs> so everybody boards Rescue One to look for the the crashed plane with binoculars that change their shape and look with every scene because fuck continuity I guess. Then Junior suggests rousing up the, re- the Rescue Rangers animals and they land to find their forest friends. 
And here is one of those instances where Lassie looks positively drunk and or stoned. <laughs> That's what's just frustrating with her design is she mostly looks like a semi-realistically drawn collie, except for her eyes. They are so just cartoonish in comparison to the rest of her. Yeah. You would have thought, I mean, they could have given her the same eyes as the humans and it would have looked less goofy, but oh well. So Jackie, Jean, and Lassie go looking and come across a sleeping Toothless, who more than ever is behaving like the proto-cringer I mentioned earlier. Except he's not as much scared as much as just doesn't act like he doesn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, whatever. He also hasn't seen a thing. I like that they got this scene where he just looks at the camera and kind of, and they kind of try to make it look like he shrugs, but it just looks like he really just puts one of his paws up and then puts it down. It's just like, okay. <laughs> I guess it's a rare attempt at realism from the animators because if he put both of his paws up, his whole front half would fall down. He might have really strong legs. <laughs> Anyhow, R1 continues its search, and Jackie checks in to, to tell them that not only Toothless, but Robbie and Musty haven't seen Squat. Fortunately, Edgar has. Yep. And he leads them to an oil slick on a lake. But we should mention first that none of the animals were particularly eager to continue this search. Yeah, even Lassie was like, nope, don't care, don't want to do this. The other animals shaking their head no. Fine, but the fact that even Lassie was like, nah. Also, I, I really you do you think do you think the writers really thought they were smart by naming this Raven Egger? Well I could make a really bad pun, but even this cartoon's not worth that. Right, would you say that the, the that joke would have been pretty po? Yeah. You can't see me, but I'm doing the freaking like awesome face and the like pointing my fingers, the finger guns. <laughs> so Jackie shoots up a flare, and rescue one is en route. Edgar raises another fuss, sending Lassie off on a search. Turns out she's found the explosives, and one of them goes off while Lassie gathers another, with the background portraying a clear Daylit sky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a lot of continuity or just weird factors in this scene. Like one that that one of those exploded, and not only did it not hurt Lassie, but nobody else heard it. True. And two, these explosives are all marked "danger explosives" on them. It's like, wow. Um. Considering that I think you're trying to take over Fort Knox, you might not want to label that stuff. Also true. Man, th this is the point where I started sobbing. <laughs> and and just the fact that Lassie's just carrying around freaking explosives. I, I, I don't know what I can use it for, but I, I just want to use this one of the scenes where Lassie's just carrying the explosives in her mouth for some meme, but I can't think of anything. Also, these explosives look like those freaking things that you put your, like, when you deposit a check at the bank. Yeah. Yeah, those those, those canisters that, they, that you shoot, they shoot through the tubes. Yep. So the team dives in an awkwardly animated display of what I hope is proper technique? They also talk to the people, uh, to Mona and Bolton via chalkboard underwater? 
I don't think that would work. I mean, I could be wrong. I thought you were supposed to use like a wax pencil underwater. See, that would work, but that clearly looks like a chalkboard in chalk. Yeah. And I should also mention that through this whole sequence between them rescuing Bolton and Mona and Lassie continuing to duck more floating dynamite, the background consistency just keeps getting worse. Maybe there, maybe it's a Aurora Borealis. But it's not shining down in Dallas. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> just thinking of Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem is cheering me up. Thank you. Wasn't quite where I was going with it, but that works, too. <laughs> you, were, you were more thinking Steam Tams? Yes. Okay. It's like, Aurora Borealis, in this part of the United States, at this time of night, at this location? Yes. Can I see it? No. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so the crooks thank the team and ask about the car. Whoa! Okay, what, 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 I, just, I, I just noticed something. Um, and since it's a visual, it, it's not going to help the podcast any, but I'm taking these two screenshots and sending them to you since this is literally like n- not even like literally like just a few seconds apart. <laughs> okay. It's uh, two pictures of our uh, of our lead villain of this episode. And it looks like he the arrangement of the uh, blanket they're using to keep him warm is uh looks like he's a cone head well that and you know the time of oh, day the backgrounds. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this is not even like more than a few seconds apart they couldn't even keep the same background they got night background and then day background oh and it's the same animation drawings, too, so it just makes it even more just out of fucking place. Yeah. Well, so the crooks thank the team, and they ask of the cargo, trying to pass it off with some missing cases of champagne. And then Lassie returns with her piece of the explosives to a dramatic orchestral sting as the cartoon goes to break. That's some uh, explosive alcohol, man. Yeah, it must be some of that old Panther stuff. It'll make you go out with a bang. Back from commercial, Ben Sr. observes that there's enough explosive power in one canister of the stuff to blow up a building. And yet they didn't hear it when it went off. Yep. Bolton snatches the explosive canister and takes Gene hostage. Th- this should be a tense scene, but nope. I just like how non-bothered by this Gene is. He's just like, I can take care of myself, it's fine. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. So the crooks commandeer the jeep in uh, in Rescue 1, and Ben decides to contact the highway patrol to deal with them, since the canisters are far more deadly, especially if they hit the nearby hydroelectric plant. I mean, fair. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The river, you see, according to Ben is relatively rock-free, meaning the canisters have an unimpeded journey, but their shiny aluminum casings make them easy to spot. So easy that they seem we can get into the uh, river with some some freaking, like, butterfly nets and get all of the freaking canisters. Yeah. But while they're getting into position, we catch up with the crooks who reach the Vicksburg city limits as they resolve to get another plane and more explosives. 
because it all worked so well the first time. Well, you know, at first you don't succeed. I got nothing. They ditch the jeep while the rescue team is less than two miles from the dam, meaning they have no room for mistakes when fetching the canisters. And despite only being armed with butterfly nets, they managed to do it. Now, I'm bugged by this part of it. There is a turtle in this sequence who is never named, never assigned to be one part of one of the teams, nothing. He's just a local citizen that's trying to help out. Possibly. I'm not watching any more episodes of this show to find out. <laughs> the true origin of Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they fetch the canisters, including one sequence that is literally just a single frame of Lassie being slid back and forth. Yep. And the music has to do most of the work carrying the tension of the scene, because the animation timing sure can't do it. It's just, it's just funny to me, since this is like the same music they use in the Star Trek cartoon, so it just makes me want to watch a better Filmation cartoon. <laughs> yep. So the Highway Patrol eventually arrives to cover the area a second time, and they report that all they found when looking for Gene is the Jeep. Gene the Jeep. Eugene the Jeep. I really miss those weird Popeye cartoons right now. Uh, I love those weird Popeye cartoons. <laughs> They're not good, but I still freaking love them. Yeah. So the police radio rescue one about two adults and a kid trapped in an elevator. Of course, it's Gene and the Crooks with two cables of said elevator completely busted. These crooks have the worst luck in the history of criminals. Barring anybody who's on the Darwin list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why were they here anyways? I guess that's where they were looking for explosives. Why will be in such a large, generally nondescript building? I don't know. They never explain what the building is, that's for sure. Yep, but fortunately, they have to get there and risk poor Robbie's life to, like, <laughs> to fix this uh, elevator. Yeah. There was a heroic raccoon with a very fine name. In this cartoon. In theory, I should be loving this. But I hate it so much. Look at it this way. The raccoon's the best part. Mm. Fair. The raccoon has done nothing wrong in this show. It's everybody else. <laughs> so, once they're freed, the crooks take Gene with them. They had, after all, insisted on no cops. And... Ben Sr. sounds like he's struggling when describing his plan to have Lassie track them with a tracking device on her collar so the team can follow her. What the heck, Ted Knight? Like, did, did Langsheimer's acting uh, freaking possess you randomly or something? Or were you just trying to make fun of Langsheimer and and get, do it be kind of on the sly? Because that whole scene is so, like... I don't know what's going on with him there. But don't just take our word for it. Here's the audio for you to judge for yourself. First, I'll attach this tracking device to Lassie's collar. Wow. <laughs> we have we have no choice but to move on. It, it, it's the scene where even, like, like you said, there's scenes where even Ted Knight doesn't give a crap. And Yep. 
So the animals follow the crooks into a very generically named amusement park. Because, you know, that's where I would go. Well, admittedly, Bolton gives the feeble excuse that he's owed a favor by the owner. That we never, well, we see the owner, but not him conversing with the owner. Yeah. Gene spots Lassie, but has to stop himself from blurting it out. Ugh. In a bad attempt at saying he's coughing, which seemingly fools uh, Mona, so... And Susan and Jackie decide they're headed to the park, too, setting up the last dramatic set piece of the episode. Which, uh... And then they go to the weirdest haunted house I've ever seen. Yeah, th- they decide to use it as a, as a means of ditching the animals, which they manage to spot. And uh, the the rescue ranger animals get on another boat for the ride to follow them. I have multiple questions. Why is it? Why is this haunted house set up like a tunnel of love? I, I've always seen haunted houses as like a house that you walk around, not like you ride a boat through a tunnel haunted house. Well, most of the haunted house attractions I'm used to are tram attractions. Yeah, I've seen those too, but not like Tunnel of Love style haunted house. Yeah, those are slow paced. You do not want your guests to linger in front of your spooky gags. You want them to be quick, boo, jump scare, and then move on to the next one. Boat rides are not that fast. And also, how precisely did the animals manage to get on the ride in the first place? Who let the animals on the ride? Yeah, who let the dogs on? (laughs) But Musty the skunk raises a literal stink at the ride's effects, which tells Gene they're not far from him. Oh god, what did I think about that? Have you ever seen the YouTube channel Defunct Land? Yes, quite a bit. I just remembered the episode they did about the uh, Garfield scary ride, scary ride randomly. Oh, where people supposedly mentioned losing, uh, having romantic times at the Garfield scary freaking ride. Lovely. This, folks, is why there are cameras in Disney's Haunted Mansion. This is why you should have cameras on all your rides, to be honest. Yeah. So our crooks duck into the Dodgem attraction, or bumper cars, depending on your part of the world. I just used Dodgems for the alliteration, since that's the one thing keeping me sane right now! My favorite thing about this bumper car scene is he sends the bumper cars out at the, uh, animals, which I'm not sure how he managed to do that, but that's beside the point. And Gene Fox is like, jump! And Filmation is so cheap that they didn't even show them jumping on it. They just cut to them riding on top of them. I should also mention the bumper car attraction at the regional theme park I I worked at one summer is one of the older-fashioned style bumper cars where there's a lightning storm coming on, they're one of the first things that have to be turned off. Hearing those electrical sound effects coming from those bumper cars sent shivers down my spine. Yeah, it, you can say it's rather shocking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, meanwhile, Susan and Jackie are constantly a step behind our crooks, 
as Mona and Bolton make for the roller coaster, abandoning Jean and the animals on it via the emergency brake. I, I just want to point out before that scene happens, like Bolton like threatens the guy that's running the roller coaster and then takes his hat. And that guy on in charge of the roller coaster has the most like I don't know what you call his faces. He looks like he's just disgusted by being even in this show. And also, but doesn't care enough to like do anything other than just stand there and make faces. Well, he's a he's a teenager working a crap minimum wage job. He probably has stopped giving a shit months ago. He looks like he's thirty. <laughs> even worse, then. <laughs> True. But again, I have an admittedly minor amusement park background, and even I know your old-fashioned wooden roller coaster is nowhere near that sophisticated that the on-off switch will put brakes on one already-in-motion roller coaster set of cars and then will send a separate set of cars up through the tracks. That's just not how it works. I'm, I don't know crap about amusement parks and roller coasters, and even I know it doesn't work that way. The kids arrive, and Jackie asks what they did with Jean... With the same urgency, one would ask what tomorrow's weather will be like. She gets better. <laughs> yeah. And now Rescue One has to get there in less than a minute to stop the whole mess. Again, any tension this scene might have had is absolutely dashed by the stilted timing and subpar voice acting. And Lassie just not giving a shit. Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, darn, I thought they were actually going to take me out. <laughs> so Gene and the animals are rescued before the two roller coaster cars can defy physics. Oh, Lord. And we get an example of terrible perspective by uh, Filmation. And I'm sending you another screenshot. Standing by to describe for our audio listeners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Either somehow uh, Gene has become uh, very much out of proportion with the animals. Gene is like either... Now, even if he was on his knees, that wouldn't make sense for this size ratio here. <laughs> Basically. For this to work, Lassie and Robbie the raccoon have to be like literally floating. <laughs> and even then, that still wouldn't work. Composition was not Filmation's strong point. No. We get one last scene of Bolton resisting, trying to lob the explosive in a last-ditch effort to escape, which Jackie catches, and the grateful owner, who realizes the risk that explosive posed, offers to let the team go on all the rides they want. Robbie and Musty race off in obvious terror. And Ben just laughs as he says he thinks they've had enough rides for one day. Yeah. That doesn't even feel like a joke to end it on. It just kind of feels like a normal piece of dialogue. Uh, very fair. Very fair. Though that might just be his delivery that makes it feel that way. Also, good thing Jackie caught that freaking explosive because otherwise he'd be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More putting your child in danger there, Ben Sr. Yeah. Now... It's not often that we can find contemporary reactions to these shows' original runs for us to work from, but Wikipedia provided a pair of them for this program. 
Lassie's own trainer, dog expert Rudd Weatherwax, who is credited in this cartoon, said of Filmation's show, That's not Lassie, that's trash. Damn. More verbose, but just as to the point, was the National Association of Broadcasters, who stated, The manufacturers of this rubbish have incorporated violence, crime, and stupidity into what is probably the worst show for children of the season. Violence? Where did we get violent? I missed that. He's probably referring to all the near-death experiences Lassie has. Oh, I guess that's true. It's my guess, anyway. Lassie stops a freaking bulldozer. So, I personally wondered how that statement held up to what was actually on the tube back then, so I decided to do a little research. What else was on the same network, ABC, that year? Well, here we go. Sharing that block of programming with Lassie was The Bugs Bunny Show, Yogi's Gang, the original Super Friends hour-long series, Goober and the Ghost Chasers, The Brady Kids, Rick Springfield's Mission Magic, and the Superstar movie series that spawned off today's subject, as well as Yogi's Gang and the Brady Kids. Wow, that's not really that great of a lineup, I'm going to be honest with you. Fair. Uh, the, the best thing in there is the Bugs Bunny show. <laughs> yeah, and for the sake of the comparison, Bugs and Company are disqualified from it since they're not new cartoons, they're simply repackaged theatrical shorts. While the movie series was an anthology with productions from different companies, making it kind of ineligible to be judged episode to episode as well. Now, the other cartoons? We're going to bookmark that thought for the moment. Because I have not seen Goober... Mission Magic, or the Brady Kids. Now, as for Yogi's Gang and that first incarnation of the Super Friends, they were uh, mediocre to average at best. Yogi's Gang is not good, and I'm not going to mention the thing that I always tend to mention with Yogi's Gang. <laughs> so, yeah. We're going to watch all of these cartoons eventually, but not soon. If we can find some of those, uh, yeah. Mission Magic's not easy to get a hold of. I've seen it before, but and it's, eh, it's better than this, but that's not saying too much. Still, we're not going to do do any of these too soon because we got lots of stuff we have yet to cover. We want to do just this year alone. But when any 1973 cartoon pops up from this point forward, we are going to measure it against Lassie's Rescue Rangers. Hey. Filmation's uh, Star Trek cartoon came out this year. Oh, fair enough. And that was definitely better. That was way better. That's the best thing Filmation made as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, I'm going to go out now and say this is the worst thing we have watched for this podcast. Specifically <laughs> for this podcast. There are worse Filmation productions out there. We've already mentioned one, Sport Billy. And I believe we mentioned Mush before we started recording. Okay, I'm going to hold off for a second here. Mush is worse than this. I actually think I like Sport Billy better than this show. Let me guess, Frank Welker elevates it. I don't know. It's Sport Billy isn't good, but it's got a little bit of a cheesiness factor that makes it somewhat enjoyable for me. At the very least, it's not boring. Yeah, and that is the worst sin Lassie's Rescue Rangers commits. It's boring. 
It is not fascinatingly bizarre like the King Features Popeye shorts. It is not obtusely weird in its badness like the Darkstalkers cartoon. It's just deathly dull. I mean, when you make explosions and robots boring, you have failed on a insanely amazing level. So, what do you think? Are we going to be pouring Scheimerbach on the breakfast cereal just to get us through the rest of this day? <laughs> I would, but I've quit drinking alcohol. <laughs> oh, fair. Fair. So, I will in spirit. Okay, knowing our luck, we'll get stuck with Scheimerbach instead of Scheinerbach. Boy. <laughs> Scheimer! We'll see you next time, folks. The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Sean Michael Smith.